Welcome, everybody, to the Great Scott Podcast. Today, Mike welcomes voice actor Noel Blank, the son of legendary cartoon actor Mel Blank. Mel Blank was known as the man of a thousand voices, most notably Warner Brothers cartoon characters Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, and Yosemite Sam, just to name a few. Mike talks with Noel about his famous dad, the famous voices, and that time he and his dad met Elvis Presley. Today I am joined by the son of legendary voiceover artist Mel Blanc. I'm pleased to welcome Noel Blanc. How's it going, Noel? Good, but you just made my name French. Uh, it's not. It's blank. In blank. fact, in school, in school, Mel used to get into so much trouble that he used. To, you know, the original name of the spelling was with a K, and they called him a real blank, a total blank. And you're going to be nothing but that when you grow up. <laughs> uh, he decided to change his name, put a C on it, and um, all of a sudden, Noel Blank became very French, which means White Christmas. Everybody says blank. So. Uh, I better straighten you out and say it's you know it's blank it's uh, it was Mel Blank, and uh, he was known better as Wait, Camp Don, Bugs Bunny, Bobby Daffy, Judy Sylvester, and all the others. So, uh, do you still get that mistake from time to time that people still call you Blanc instead of Blank? Oh my gosh, sure. When I spell my name out, it is definitely white. <laughs> <laughs> it's always Blanc, <laughs> sure. So. Uh, so tell us, uh, what what was Mel like as a uh, father? Um, was he kind of like the same way uh, at home as he was, say, at the studio doing the voices at home? Was he was he an entertainer at home as much as he was at the uh, studio? Oh, gosh, yes. He was just a regular guy. He could have been a shoe salesman from Kansas City or whatever. He was never <laughs> on. He was on only on, as we call it, when he was on a uh, microphone. Then he became those characters. Because he was a method actor, so as soon as the uh, microphone was live, he became those particular characters. In fact, if you turn the uh, the sound off in the booth and watched him, he actually metamorphosized into those characters. He looked like Bugs or Yosemite Sam or the Tasmanian Devil. He had a a rubber face, and he he, he really became those characters. So uh, Stanislavski would have been proud. Absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask you, um, whenever these cartoons come on, do you still get uh, the the residuals at all from the uh, showing of it? No, no, uh, because most of the cartoons were done before residuals. Oh, the Flintstones uh, still provide some residuals. It was, you know, the residual rate went up as the time goes by, the residual rate goes down and down and down. So, uh, you know, a program might get 38 cents now, where at the first time it got uh, $380, you know. Yeah. It, it, it goes downhill. So, no, we don't uh, don't get much off of the cartoons. <laughs> well, he didn't either, you remember. He, uh, he started at $45 a week and then wanted to raise, I think, after three or four years. By 1941, he was getting 65. Then I think when the World War II ended and Bugs Bunny was the number one character in the world, because he represented Uncle Sam and the fighting man. He asked for a raise and they said, well, we're not going to give you a raise, but we'll put your name saying voice characterizations, Mel Blanc. So that helped him an awful lot because you remember back then, Michael, uh, gee, there was about 50 million people a week went to the movies. There were no television. And with 50 million people seeing Bugs Bunny selling war bonds with Elmer Fudd and Porky Pig, 
they saw, you can imagine how many people each week saw Bugs Bunny. So within a year or two, he became a major star. In fact, he be, he remained the, the number one cartoon character for 75 years. And, and yeah, I was going to say, we're still talking about it even to this day. Yeah, he's still the number one cartoon character in the world. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Now, when... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm stepping on you. No, no worries. No worries. Go ahead. I was uh, looking at a, a TV guide from a few years back, and it had him as the number one cartoon character. Mickey Mouse is number two. Mickey Mouse. Now, did he have anything to do with the Mickey Mouse at all? No. Didn't do anything with Mickey Daffy. I mean, with Mickey or Donald or any of the... Uh, Walt Disney characters. In fact, he only did some of the voices at Disney World, but then he did only the cat in Pinocchio, the the cat who always was inebriated. And uh, Walt Disney, after Mel spent about four weeks doing the cat on Pinocchio, Walt said, uh, "I don't think I think I don't think the cat should be drunk. Uh, <laughs> we can give him one hiccup." Yeah, so he ended up getting three weeks of pay for one hiccup, and that's all you'll hear. That's all Gideon had in Pinocchio. <laughs> but it, but like you say, we're, it's still amazing. I mean, still, even after he's been gone for a while, we're he's still number one on top. He's like the Elvis of cartoons. Well, that's that's very true because there are certain people over the last century that have been number one in their areas. Uh, whether it's John Wayne or Roy Rogers for Cowboys, and uh, whether it was Elvis Presley or my dad, you know, Elvis Presley for, for anything vocal. Yeah. And he, by the way, he, on uh, I was just looking at the uh, the yearbook here. It says uh, the 40, top 40 hits from Billboard. Uh, Elvis Presley is still, uh, point-wise, double the Beatles. Wow. So there, there was only one Elvis Presley, and he's d- doubled the number of points in the, that the Beatles score wow. in that in that Bible of a Billboard, B- B- Bible of a B- B- <laughs> Billboard. Uh, so, so uh, yes. By the way, did I ever tell you that Elvis came up here, at Big Bear, where we are right now, which is out of Los Angeles, about uh, no. uh, we're we're up about seventy five hundred feet, but we're it only takes about thirty five minutes to go down that that mountain, and there we are in the the city of San Bernardino, and there's L A. So we're real close by, but we're up in the hills. So Elvis and, came. So, so so Elvis came to where you are. No, Elvis came up here to make a movie. Oh, okay. In the sixties, and uh, he heard that Mel at that time was the mayor of Big Bear Lake because he. Uh, it was the honorary mayor at that time. He wrote the song Big Bear Lake, and Jack Benny happened to play it on this program because Jack Benny loved Mel and loved the song. And so uh, 50 million people that were listening to Jack Benny each week heard Big Bear Lake. It became a hit. And my dad became the mayor up here for 33 years. Uh, honorary mayor. Cuts a lot of, you know, cut, cuts crepe and, and uh, all the uh, ribbons and the launchings, whatever, <laughs> launched into the lake. Now, he, but, uh, now he wouldn't yeah. just be mayor of Big Bear. He was also mayor of, of of other cities as as well. Yes, at the same time, Pacific Palisades, actually. That's honorary mayor. Honorary yeah, not mayor. A, yeah. yeah. Uh, Big Bear hadn't incorporated until the 80s. Right. So right. honorary mayor, and now they have a voted mayor. But, yeah, he uh, Elvis came up here to do uh, Kissing Cousins. Oh. At Cedar Lake. And uh, 
Gee, I remember we got a, a telephone call one day. And, uh, you know, people used to call Mel all the time doing uh, representations of other people's voices. You know, at that time it was James Cagney or Jimmy Stewart or the, the, Jimmy Durandy or uh, Eddie Cantor or Jack Benny. And they'd all try to copy the, the sound of uh, an actor or a singer. Hi, this is Frank Sinatra. Whatever. Yeah. So I get a call up here, which we're, we spend every summer up here. Now we spend seven months out of the year here. Same old cabin, same old lot. And Elvis uh, said he was on the phone. So I, I answered the phone and said, hello. He says, yeah, this is Elvis Presley. I says, oh, sure it is. He says, let's just speak to Mel. So he uh, gets on the phone with dad and he says, hi, this is Elvis Presley. I hear you're up here, Mel, and I'm coming down to meet you. And Mel looks at me and <laughs> like he gives me the like this is another one of those crazy calls. He says, "In fact, I can come down about ten minutes because I'm right up here at uh, Cedar Lake, and uh, I'll be coming down in the car, black a black Cadillac with the the top down." <laughs> <laughs> so we both laugh, and the dad and I are oh. laughing like crazy. Uh, <laughs> we said, "Okay, Elvis, we'll see you at the driveway." I, he says, "I know where you live." Now okay. was it really now? Now was it really Elvis Presley, or was it a, a friend that was mimicking Elvis? It was, it was Elvis Presley. Oh wow! He, he came down in the black convertible Cadillac, alone, pulls into the driveway, parks the car, jumps out of the, the, the opens the door, jumps out, grabs Mel. Mel, do cor- do you know? Do Bugs? Do Porky? Do Sweetie? Do <laughs> Sylvester? Do the Tasmanian Devil? He loved. He knew all the characters and loved them. And by the time that Mel stopped auditioning in the driveway, Elvis says, let's go inside. So, uh, by the way, all the same furniture as when Elvis was here, Jack Benny, George Burns, uh, Lucille Ball, all the chairs were sat in by the same people, and it's still the same old chairs and it's still the same old cabin. Wow. He came in, sat down, and uh, looked out, and there's our dock down there, about 50 feet. And there was the Bugs Bunny, which is an old Chris Craft, parked in the dock. He says, Mel, is that your boat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Elvis, that's the boat. So let's take a ride. Now, it's kind of interesting. When you're a movie star or singing star, whatever it might be, you've got to drive. So he jumps into the driver's seat. And Mel, my dad says, you know how to drive that thing? And Elvis says, well, sure, I know how to drive it. Well, he gets in the boat. Mel starts it for him. And he pulls out of the slip at about 40 miles an hour. The buoys are out there, say, five miles an hour, this side of the buoys, and he's doing 45. Uh, And he's driving down toward the dam, which is about four and a half miles. And we're going very quickly because Mel was a hot rodder like I am. And he he had a big 327 Chevy in in the, you know, instead of the old 123 horsepower Chris Craft, he now had 300 horsepower in it. And we're going pretty quickly, but the guy comes up beside us in a much faster boat. And we're looking at it. It's called the Yellow Jacket. And we look to see who it is, and it's Roy Rogers. Oh, wow. Who we know quite well, but he's got a new boat, and it's a lot faster than ours. And he looks over, and he takes a double take. And there's Elvis Presley driving (laughs) Bugs Bunny, the boat. And there's Mel in the boat, and I'm sitting in between them. And he signals us to slow down and stop, and we did. And for an hour and a half, 
they were telling Hollywood stories about different things that they wanted to know about each other and about the things they did. We drifted basically almost four miles back to the cabin. Took about an hour and a half, and Elvis looked at his watch and said, "Oh my gosh, they're probably waiting for me out there. I only had an hour for lunch." So we went back to the cabin. Elvis, uh, you know, left the building, left the cabin, got into the, the Cadillac, and took off. And but the, the interesting thing about that story, we talk about uh, number ones in their generation. At that time. Roy Rogers, the number one cowboy ever, Elvis Presley, the number one singer ever, and Mel, the number one voice artist ever, were on Big Bear Lake telling Hollywood stories that nobody knew about except me. Wow. Because wow. nobody ever, we didn't tell anybody about that. That Now, were you, so, so, you, so you were on, on the boat as well listening to, to all this. Uh, uh, you, yeah. I was, I was not that young, you know. Yeah, I was 20 years old. Yeah, I was right in the middle of it. Wow. Now, was this kind of like a surreal experience for you since you're with Elvis Presley and then Roy Rogers joins and then your dad is also number one? Is Was your head kind of like spinning a little bit? Well, sure, because we heard I heard stories that I'd never heard. Right. Elvis, I just met uh, up at the Seattle World's Fair, so we kind of knew each other that and in town. But uh, we didn't know him as well as Roy Rogers, who used to spend some time on our dock. But uh, they had never met. And Mel had never put the two of them together, and he had never really met Elvis. So yeah, it uh, it's something that'll never I'll never forget. Right, absolutely. So um, so there's uh so there's clips on uh, YouTube of of your dad, and there's one that I wanted to talk to you about. And um, I remember his uh, Tonight Show appearances with with Johnny. Um, there was <laughs> there was one time, uh, and I'm sure that he probably did this multiple times with your dad, but uh, he tried to get your dad to do. Uh, like these weird sound effects, um, and and your dad was able to to keep up, and he he would think about it uh, on on how to do it, and just the sheer brilliance of how he was able to to do it in like the timely manner and the exact order of which Johnny described it, pretty much. Oh yes, uh, you know Mel could do anything on the spot because he he remembered everything, every dialect, fifteen hundred of of the voices that he did, four hundred of them were different dialects from every, all over the world. But he had a perfect ear. He could hear and represent it. And he never copied anybody, even though he could. He never copied anybody, but he could remember a dialect. And uh, whether it's like a southern drawl, it was about he could do, whether it was from Kentucky or Louisiana or Florida or Texas, he had the right drawl for each one of the, the southern states or the New England states or New York. So he uh, also, he could do any country uh, you name the dialect, wow. any of the any of the countries wow. that you would name. Yeah, whether it's you know the difference between Scottish and Irish, he could change. He, you could also sit on the piano. He had perfect pitch. He could tell you what keys you were sitting on. Wow. He was physically built for voice, probably better than anybody that ever lived, because he had about an eight octave range. And that's a lot, a huge range, eight octave range. And at the same time, he had perfect pitch. So if you handed him a lead sheet that Bugs Bunny was supposed to sing the lead, the, the right melody, he could do harmony in all the characters without any more music. Wow. Just by listening to Bugs's lead, he could do harmony in Tweety or Sylvester. 
that's amazing. So they took a camera to his vocal cords once, uh, which he never forgave me for making a doctor's appointment because <laughs> the doctor wanted to do some uh, to photograph his vocal cords, and uh, they were much thicker than the normal vocal cords. He compared them to somebody like uh, Enrique Caruso who had that kind of range. And uh, nowadays, somebody just told me that they went to a throat doctor and mentioned that uh, he uh, was friends of mine and said, oh, Mel Blank, oh yeah, when, you're, when we study uh, the ears, nose, and throat area uh, as a specialist, uh, we always uh, utilize the name Mel Blank and, and uh, talk about his uh, vocal cords and show them on uh, video. <laughs> so isn't it, I don't know if I've told that story to anybody, but uh, it's kind of interesting that he had, he was physically meant to do these voices. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And so the interesting thing about it is uh, there's a lot of really good voice artists out there, but they don't have the physicality that he had that could do this kind of thing. That's uh, and and you had mentioned something that I was going to ask you too. I mean, I know that he was able to do the dialects and the voices and all that, but I was going to ask you about uh, if he ever did mimicry at all. No, never. He never liked to mimic anybody. They say, uh, you know, do Jimmy Durante for this character. He said, I can't. Uh, or in the Flintstones when he was doing Barney Rubble, they wanted him to do, uh, uh, you know, like uh, Art Carney did on uh, the Jackie Gleason show. But he says, no, I won't do the Art Carney sound, but I'll do something like it. And so that was, and he did his own laugh, <laughs> you know, as Barney Rubble. <laughs> right, right. And then Woody Woodpecker, of course, he did that. And it wasn't Warner Brothers because uh, that was Walter Lance. And Walter Lance in 1940 said, uh, you know, we have this little Woody Woodpecker. We have this character, Woody Woodpecker. You think you can do a voice for him? And my dad thought of a, laugh that he did in the uh, fourth grade up and down the halls which the teachers didn't care for and called him a complete blank <laughs> and he'd go up and down the hall just you know <laughs> you know that that laugh and so he used that laugh for woody woodpecker and then the <laughs> that at the end the little pecking and he could do it real fast and high um, it takes about 40 of us to do his voices and i don't think we could even come close uh, we're all copies, and if you have to remember, he originated all these voices, so he wasn't a copying anybody. We all copy his sound. Some of us are better than others, but there's a lot of us doing the voices that he originated. Now. One of the so, so you speak of that when when he passed away, uh, like you say, it it uh, I know that you had tried to fill in for him doing all the voices, and um, I was talking with Bob Bergen, who's also a a, a voice guy. Um, who uh, do you think that he, he uh, nails the porky pig uh, kind of like your dad does? Uh, I think he's fine. I think that uh, uh, I've always liked Bob Bergen's porky pig. Um, I've always liked my porky pig. There's a couple, three of us that do porky pig pretty well. Um, and as far as bugs goes, <clears throat> I guess it is, me, what's up, Don? It's pretty good. But you know, the Jeff Bergman, uh, he can do long stints of that voice. Uh, so he's really good in long form. I can do a few of the, the you know, the what's up docs and the, in the, in the, in the lines that are necessary for greeting cards and things. But when it comes to long, forward, long form, uh, Jeff Bergman's very, very good, and so is uh, uh, 
por- the Porky Pig that uh, the, the, the just you mentioned, Bob Ergen, I think he's uh, terrific. They can do these long forms quite well. So uh, there was a time when uh, your dad was um, involved in a car crash, and I'll let you tell the story about what happened there because it has a funny ending. Uh, how how that all uh, happened? He he was uh, he had just gone up to San Francisco to do a bunch of ten second spots that uh, the, he used to do some uh, about four or five different clients in San Francisco, and they all were doing ten second spots for this advertising agency, Capel, Perrin, Reed. So he had just flown back from that, and he had an 8 o'clock gig in town that he was supposed to make uh, with his agent, Jack Worms, who was going to meet there, and they were going to do a few lines for a movie. And uh, I got a call from uh, some friend's mother that I was visiting. I was visiting at a house party. And they had told me that Mel had just been into an automobile accident on Dead Man's Curve. And uh, I told my friends to call my mom. And uh, my mom was wondering why he didn't. My uh, Mel was always punctual. He always was at a recording session at the exact time or before. And he didn't show for this recording session. So his agent, uh, Jack Rumser at that time, was talking with my mom also and said no. He's not here. My mom called the police at that time before my friends called her and found out that there was a crash on Sunset Boulevard at Dead Man's Curve that Jan Dean sang about many years later and uh, that Mel was rushed to UCLA Hospital. And by the time that I got there, he had been surveyed of what happened to him. He broke damn near every bone in his body. He was in a coma. They didn't expect him to live. Uh, he was on all kinds of life support at that time. And he remained in that coma for about 12 days, 12, 13 days. And everybody that came over to try to get him out of the coma, including Jack Benny and George Burns, a whole bunch of people, Gracie. Anyway, uh, he didn't move. And I'd go there all the time, sit day during the day and part of the night with my mom there. And we'd say, dad, can you hear me? Mel, can you hear me? Nothing. His heart was beating. He was in a body cast from the tip of his toes to the middle of his chest. And with both legs spread apart and a bar between them. And in that body cast remained for half a year, maybe more. Uh, But nothing came out of no voice, no nothing. And the doctor would come here every day, the, the brain surgeon. And he was in the intensive care area, had a little curtained off area that had a television set. We'd keep the uh, Warner Brothers cartoons on all the time because at that time you could get a Warner's cartoon, what, 25 hours a day. (laughs) You know, you could go day and night and not hit every channel that had Warner's cartoons. Just anything that might arouse him from the coma. And the doctor, Dr. Conroy, went over to him this morning, it was about 12, 13 days later, and says, Bugs, can you hear me? Bugs Bunny, can you hear me? And my mom and I are sitting there, and we heard Mel's first words. He, his eyes kind of fluttered open, and he looked at, and he says, Nee, what's up, Doc? 
And then, then uh, Doc Conroy says, Porky, can you hear me? He said, I can, yeah, I can, yeah, I got, yes, it's the doctor. Tweety, can you hear me? Sylvester, can you hear me? He came out of the coma with all the characters. And from that point on, remembered everything. And in fact, I remember after he'd done the characters, he looked at my mom and says, weren't we supposed to be in Hawaii? Where are we? And my mom says, well, look down, you'll see where you are. This is 12 days after the accident. So yeah, that was a remarkable story that, uh, wow. that has been told. I've told it, uh, and they did a great job on it, uh, on radio lab. If you put on your, <clears throat> if you put Mel Blanc radio lab, the, uh, public broadcasting, uh, radio station out of New York did it and it's been on radio lab for about a year, year and a half. And it's an incredible story, but it takes about 15 minutes. So go to Mel Blanc radio lab and you'll hear this, this story done really well by these two guys and myself. And, uh, so also you, you were involved in a personal accident yourself at, at one time as well. Oh boy. Yes. Uh, exactly 30 years later, almost to the day. Wow. Um, I was flying. I owned a helicopter at that time, a jet ranger. And I used to fly quite a bit, uh, just taking friends up, giving them a tour of the, of the beach and all the, the architecture that goes along with Malibu and Pacific Palisades, Brentwood and Beverly Hills. So I'd, I'd give a, a fun tour to my friends. And then we, I used to fly it to Texas for reoccurring, uh, uh, training to bell helicopters there. And you, in uh, Arlington or Hearst Bedford, Euless, Texas. Anyway, um, I, and Kirk Douglas, who my closest friend, by the way, uh, was with me and he'd fly with me all the time. He loved flying in a helicopter. And wherever we went together, if he was doing a movie in Australia, we'd rent a helicopter and I'd fly it around or uh, he was doing one in Canada and then fly it around. Kirk was with us along with a pilot that I was training for the Beverly Hills Police Department. And we went up to uh, pick Kirk up uh, to bring him back down from his uh, from a ranch that he was uh, uh, with his uh, author up uh, in uh, Palace, <clears throat> in, uh, geez. <laughs> I like to forget the name of where I was. Well, it was up north about 100 miles. And, um, uh, so uh, the the pilot that I was training in myself flew up there, and uh, we parked it at the helipad, and uh, Kirk uh, got in with his editor, and we flew here, both of them around her ranch up there in Santa Paula, and uh, then we flew him back to the helipad, and um, the policeman walked her across the runway. Uh, to say goodbye. Kurt said goodbye. We said goodbye. And then the policeman got back into the helicopter and we took to the runway. We called who we were, oh, the helicopter we were taking off to the west. We pulled out from the helipad into the runway because I didn't want to take off over a riverbed. It's not really safe right. better to take helicopter off over a runway. We said what we were doing. It was not a controlled airport. Uh, we were on the radio. We saw another plane looking the opposite direction to see if there, who was landing or taking off. Nobody, just him. So we called and went on to the runway. 
he didn't he wasn't on the radio he was training a, a student took off at the same time we were at a high hover over the runway and uh, they hit our main rotor mm. and uh, they both died instantly in the flames and crash and it plunged our helicopter down to the asphalt which was about 60 feet down with Kirk in the back seat and the helicopter uh, fellow that I was training on the left side I was on the right side and helicopters fly from the right side it landed on my side crashed on my side and uh, yes that's the story of uh, the helicopter crash and I broke if you were to take the uh, I guess if you were to take x-rays of my dad's accident and mine like I lost a little bit more blood but didn't have the head injury like he did but broke about the same number of bodies mm. of bones in the body of uh, the same I my leg I think I broke in 23 places it broke his in 26 plus all my ribs were broken he he had pelvis fracture I didn't so we broke similarly I think if you were to take the x-rays 30 years later exactly the same age we were 51 uh they'd be double double trouble and uh, <laughs> it sounds like it yeah yeah that's that's the story of the accident Kirk uh came by okay so did the Policeman, I talked to him. He's moved back to uh, Virginia now, and Kirk is going to be 103 in about four months, five months. So he did all right, also. Now, do you still speak to Mr. Douglas uh, at all? I go over and see him all the time, still. Sure. Yeah. How is he? He's I, he's doing fine physically. His uh, aphasia because he had a stroke uh, about uh, 30 years ago now, 1996. Um, he had a stroke and he has aphasia, so he can't really speak well, nor could he uh, 30 years ago after the stroke. Right. He was a brilliant speaker, a brilliant actor, brilliant orator, and uh, <clears throat> he still has trouble speaking. And as he's gotten older into his hundreds, it's more difficult for him. But his brain is 100%. Well, good. good. And, he, and his wife is 100 as well, I think, 100 years old. That's correct. She never gave her age to anybody. She doesn't look 100, that's for sure. She oh, never no. looked. She always looked uh, 30 years younger than Kirk, and Kirk looked young for his age. But she uh, remained looking young until her late 90s. Now, I would be remiss. I know that uh, I have some older listeners that uh, when you mentioned the name Mel Blanc, or Blank, excuse me, I'm so sorry, Blank, uh, they think of Jack Benny and the, yes. and the Psy character that he played with, with Jack. Yes, and also Jack Parrott and French violin teacher Professor LeBlanc, Jack's Maxwell the car. Oh, Jack, he yeah, he played a lot of characters on Jack's show. So how did and, uh, the side character come to be about? The the seaside so character. Yeah. I think that was actually the one of the writers while he was up here one time uh, had that idea, and Jack used to spend summers up here with his daughter and Joni, and uh, they would have wonderful times up here, and that's where Jack heard the song Big Bear Lake because Mel stayed up all night because the boats were bothering him in the morning coming in to our our little cabins right on the lake. And so he sang the song Big Bear Lake, and Jack loved it, put it on the radio, and it became the number one uh, hit of Big Bear, and he became honorary mayor for uh, 33 years. When you have 50 million listeners, you can sell a lot of records. Oh, absolutely. Here comes uh, 
this is an interesting thing. My dad used to come out on the porch here and talk to all the people out that would come in on the tour boats. And so here comes a tour boat, and you're going to hear it live because I have to go out on the porch. And uh, are you okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. five or six hours. I, right, I just, right. I like to see the expression on the people in the boat. <laughs> five or six hours without a John, wait a minute. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. So that's only about 15 times a day that they come by. My dad used to do the same thing. <laughs> There's three or four tour boats. This is number four. And they each, during the height of the summer, they each come by four or five times a day. So it's... Uh, I do that same shtick. And uh, gosh, the people still love all those characters. You know, if I think I, I were to mention uh, Jack Benny or even Kirk Douglas or even Michael Douglas, now these young kids, they don't know anything about history of any type of uh, radio or television. They, oh. You know, I just taught about, about four classes over there at the middle school the day before yesterday on careers in the show business. And I was amazed to know that they don't teach history of any kind. I said, can you name any of the presidents? And the kids look at me and say, George Washington? Yeah. Abraham Lincoln? Yeah. Um, uh, they knew, uh, oh, Obama? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and Trump? Yeah. And how about that guy that was killed? You mean Kennedy? Yeah, that one. That's it. That's the whole thing. Oh, wow. That's the only presidents they knew about. <clears throat> knew about the last two and the guy that was killed. Mm, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so they, they know nothing about history. Right. And history, history on the West Coast is not being taught in any of the schools. So unless their folks are really into old radio or old television or movies, uh, they're not going to know any movie star past uh, the last you know four or five years. Yeah, um, well, the... The Bugs Bunny and Donald Duck and uh, all, all that ran actually on a continuous basis in, in my house when I was younger because that's what my parents grew up on. Well, the, the characters, when the boats come by, they all know the characters. Oh, yeah. Every, yeah, I mean, but if I were to mention any of the people that I just talked about, uh, whether it's Kirk Douglas or even Michael Douglas or any Dustin Hoffman, they, they don't know who I'm talking about. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, and uh, that was kind of like the golden age when when they were well. Some of them are are, are still working, but uh, unfortunately, their memory has gotten lost in in time. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I do have to. I don't think the George, the boats come by and, and point to the house and say that's where Jepard, that's where George Papard lived. Who's going to know George Papard? Right. Do you know the name George Papard? 
I've I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm saying he was a huge television star and a big movie star one. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> but uh, no one, they, movie stars are not remembered in, unless their parents play old movies, which they usually don't. Right, absolutely. I I still love uh, watching the old films, and I actually watched uh, my my favorite actor is, is Lon Chaney. Actually, I'll, I'll watch a lot of Lon Chaney films. Oh, wasn't he wonderful? Oh, he's great. Yeah, I Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr. in his own way was good too. Absolutely, and a very good looking. I mean, the man was just made for the screen. I mean, his his looks was just made. He looked exactly like a movie star. Yes, but not Lon Chaney Jr. He's oh no. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so, so yes, those, yeah, those are my, my kind of films. I'm keeping you on this thing too long. My gosh, I did. I just looked at the time. Oh, okay. But, I uh, certainly didn't realize the sequence in time. So. Right. right. Well, hey, uh, Noel, will you come back and do a part two sometime? Anytime you want. I'll sign off. Noel, thank you very much for uh, uh, calling me up today, Michael. I really appreciate it. And Porky Pig would say, yeah, the V, the V, the V, that's all, folks. There you go. It, it, I tell you, when I speak to you, it's like talking to Mel himself. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Noel. God, God bless you, and uh, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, and see you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like what you heard, tell your friends and have them like the Great Scott Podcast Facebook page. That's where you can find information on Mike's upcoming entertainment podcasts. <laughs>